All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm talking to you from uh, New York City on this, the 13th day of April, 2021. I do like to remind you I'm the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. We like to plug Chen Lin as well, his letter, uh, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, in the uh, mining sector as well, and primarily, I would say, uh, the, the most value coming to you through the biotechs, which is an area that he's really uh, specialized in and done very well for his subscribers. And Michael Oliver is with us today, too. It's OliverMSA.com uh, to follow up with Michael, uh, who you'll be hearing from just in a, a moment or two. And I want to thank all of you for listening to the show, making one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And send along any comments you have about the show to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions at number four, taylor at gmail.com. And we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Today's sponsors, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp., El Oro Resources, Irving Resources, Hannon Metals, Fury Gold Mines, Great Bear Resources, Lion One Metals, SK Mining, and Firefox Gold. I don't mention often enough that the sponsors in this show are invited to become sponsors only after I have chosen to cover them in my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. In other words, these companies are sponsors first and foremost, not because they make this show financially viable, but first and foremost because I think they have great potential to enhance the financial well-being of my subscribers and hopefully some of the listeners out there as well when they hear about these companies. In every case, I have purchased shares in these companies that sponsor this show. And uh, I just thought I should let you know that uh, these are vetted companies. They're not just companies that say, here, I have some money, uh, give me some coverage. No, that's not the way it works. Uh, I should just mention here uh, some of the highlights that recently, some of the things that have taken place with our sponsors. Uh, Great Bear Resources, for example, now they uh, the spinoff, the royalty company, is now tradable. It is trading in Canada and in the U.S., so if you happen to own Great Bear at the time of the spinoff, you now are the proud owner of Great Bear Royalty, which I think is going to be a, a huge success longer term. I'm planning to hold on to mine for a long time. Regarding SK Mining Corp., now that company put out a press release today stating uh, that they have reviewed all the data from its 2020 exploration campaign and has conclusively identified multiple mineralized horizons on its 100% owned uh, SK Precious Metals Rich volcanic, Volcanogenic Massive Sulfide Project in the Golden Triangle of British Columbia. Now, this newly synthesized model of the seafloor mineralized system demonstrates that at least six stratigraphic units are prospective for precious metals rich VMS deposits. 
across this 526 square kilometer property. And I will certainly be talking more about this in my newsletter, hopefully this weekend. Uh, Dr. John DeDecker, as the Vice President of Exploration, will be providing a discussion of this with a Toronto geological group at 4 o'clock uh, today. And I hope to get some feedback from that on to my subscribers. Also just mentioned that El Oro uh, Resources, which is on, I think, to a massive silver discovery in uh, Bolivia just put out a an announcement today, 73.9 meters of 155 grams per ton silver, silver equivalent. And Irving uh, Resources, uh, which I will be talking to Quentin Henning about very shortly in one of these uh, shows, uh, they just announced a strategic investment from Newmont Mining. They just put in $6 million uh, to participate in that company's projects in Japan. So there's an awful lot going on. I'm really proud to have my current list of sponsors because I'm expecting some enormous wealth creation from many, if not most of them, in the weeks and months to come. And one of them also is Lion Mines, uh, which you will hear from, uh, you will hear about from Dr. Quentin Henning. He'll be on the show. Uh, in, uh, well, we'll be talking to him about the Tuvatu uh, Alkaline Project uh, in just a few minutes from now. I've titled today's show, Living and Investing in a Dystopian Digital Currency World. David McElvenny, Michael Oliver, and as I mentioned, Quentin Henning uh, is joining me today. The handwriting is on the wall now for everyone to see. Freedom to spend your money as you wish without government permission seems about ready to end. At least that's the way it seems. That's because a mismanaged global monetary system now requires not only low interest rates, but negative interest rates, perhaps, to hold the system together. You may have heard of bail-ins. Well, after the 2008 financial crisis, they started talking about they started talking about uh, bailouts. Well, they had bailouts before. Now they're talking about bail-ins, which means that simply, if the banks get into trouble, they'll take money from your checking account to help bail them out. To bail them out. So you are bailing them out. Uh, Bail-ins don't necessarily require a dramatic banking crisis like we had in 2008. A slower-moving crisis like the one unfolding now right before our eyes in which the U.S. will likely need to move to a negative rate of interest. Um, At least that's what many believe. Um, You know, that may be in the cards. And if so, that means they'll be taking money out of your account, out of your checking account, which they can do legally, by the way, because when you put your money in the bank, you are basically providing an unsecured loan to that bank. Well, when you make loans and they're unsecured, tough nookies if you lose some money. That's the way it goes. Uh, to keep you from having that option, though, of course, now they're planning something different. To, um, to keep you in the banking system, they're not going to allow you to take out cash in the future. At least that seems to be what the planning, uh, that there's that kind of planning in place if they need to employ it. The whole idea is to you have to make sure that the banks are solvent. So keeping in mind that the bankers, they can really, uh, they can do this. They, they have the legal rights to do this and that's what the planners are expecting. In other words, what the elites are setting all of us up for is to deny our rights to the fruits of our labor and to our property. Sounds kind of Marxist to me, but uh, anyway, that's that seems to be what's taking place and uh, we hope and pray that's not the case, but that seems to be uh, the plans that they have for us. In the second half of today's show, I will be speaking to David McElvaney about uh, his views on interest rates, the prospects for digital-only money, and how that might impact our investment decisions going forward. As I just mentioned, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me in just a few minutes uh, to give us an update on Lion 1. 
Uh, but right now, I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is here with me once again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. It's always good to have you. Uh, and I just uh, want to get your ideas on T-bonds and gold. You have been saying, and it seems to be playing out once again, that they are both safe havens. And when the stock market gets a little wobbly, uh, the bond market gets stronger, money goes into that, or to gold. Gold and silver both are stronger today. Um, comments on that? And how long do you think that will continue? Well, the it's, it's very clear that T-bonds uh, and relative markets like TLT, the ETF of 20-year U.S. government debt, uh, have trended down from a high, uh, a high in, in those markets in August, coincident with gold. So mm-hmm. as rates have risen, gold has dropped. And mm-hmm. um, that it, during that same period of time, especially since late last summer, the stock market's been quite strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they made their low in March, but they really got strong starting late, late summer last year. In fact, the NASDAQ 100 went ballistic during that time. Um, parabolic blow-off, we would call it. So, but what I'm looking at here is that the technically speaking, the T-bond market, meaning as it drops in price, rises in yield, is coincident with gold and inverse, both of them are inverse to the U.S. stock market for the time being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that the logic of higher interest rates coincident with higher inflation, which makes sense, will in fact occur, but I don't think we're in it right now. I think that this is a trap. I think anybody who's getting short T-bonds now expecting higher interest rates because of higher inflation is premature. Mm -hmm. Technically, I can see the potential, and I think it's pretty strong, for a very sharp rebound in the T-bonds and TLT and so forth to the upside, meaning a Mm -hmm. drop in rates, for several months. And I suspect strongly that if that occurs, the reason for it will not be inflation or interest rates, that kind of thing. It's simply a response of asset managers moving money into a safe haven as the stock market wobbles. I think the stock, we have we cheered over the last week or two, a new high in the stock market, especially the NASDAQ 100, which had made a high in September. Um, I'm looking, oh, no, excuse me, I'm, I'm thinking of Amazon right now, which is a major mm-hmm. component, but the, while the S&P has made new highs over the last few months, NASDAQ 100 and the leading stocks within the NASDAQ 100, names we all know, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, did not. And mm-hmm. so they, they lagged in performance noticeably to the broad stock market, which a lot of people have, have identified and noticed and commented on. So the leadership has waned. In fact, it's technically broken in terms of relative performance. Mm-hmm. But we needed, in certain of these markets, especially NASDAQ 100, I think to go make a new high, and we've now done that. Mm-hmm. And now it may persist for another week or so, but we see vulnerability under the stock market, meaning after we've done this new cheering of a new high in the NASDAQ 100, uh, that if it wobbles off very much at all, several percentage points, in fact, uh, you could start a domino effect to the downside again. In other words, that this is, could be a, a very much a bull trap meaning was mm-hmm. NASDAQ peaked several months ago, it goes up and spikes out that high. If it doesn't sustain, and I don't think it will, and wobbles back down, then you'll really see the T-bonds start to move upside. And I mm-hmm. suspect during that same period of time, you're going to see gold moving upside. So large asset managers will be moving assets back into the two categories that they moved into uh, late in 2019, early 2020, prior to the big drop in the stock market. 
so that's what I think is about to happen. Right now, T-bonds are rallying a bit today. In fact, they are where they were a month ago. So all the talk about rising rates, that really ceased about a month ago. Um, and gold, of course, made a low in early March and tested it again in late March. We circled that low in early March and defined it as probably the low for the corrective process. And right now we're about 4.5%, off that low and uh, challenging overhead resistance levels, which I think we're going to break through. So anyway, watch the stock market because it's a variable that few people are thinking about on the downside. And if think about this. If you're worried about the Fed reversing their monetary policy instead of being so dovish and worrying about inflation, yeah. if, you, uh-huh. if you hobble that stock market, they're, gonna, they're, they're not going to quit. You know, that's an asset yeah. category they will defend to the hilt. Yeah, it would seem so. And certainly all the – it seems like, uh, you know, the lawmakers, the elites are definitely – in the stock market, big time, and and uh, all hell would break loose if uh, if if the powers that be don't try to defend it. I would think. And so, so Michael, how can how can this trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of deficits be financed uh, if at these low rates they can't be? It has to come through money. I would think money printing. If if if, 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 if higher Powell. rates, yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> no, they don't need a public to buy the stuff. No. There's no question about it. No. Uh, you know, if, if, if the problem is tax collection, for example, if we find uh, many non-filers this year relative to prior years simply because they can't pay, or delinquent filers or insufficient filers who can't pay the full amount, et cetera, et cetera, and that percentage number starts to get a little bit too high, uh, they're going to have to start thinking about other sources of full revenue for the federal budget. And we know where that's going to come from. The Fed will simply mm-hmm. buy the bonds. Mm-hmm. And so the yeah. government just issues them. The Fed will buy it, print the money. That's done. And, you know, they don't need. But at some point, at, but at some point, then the dollar becomes suspect. I mean, it has yes, to. Yes, and it's yeah, it it's starting to cave again. We had a a multi month recovery bounce in the dollar, which everybody was impressed by. We were not, uh, and it's uh, as far as we're concerned, uh, that that rally is now over. It's now breaking back down. And uh, the dollar right now is in the 91s dollar index I'm speaking of. Uh, if you get it back in the 89s again, kiss, kiss a goodbye. Uh, it's it's going right, to drop sharply at that point. Real quickly, Michael, 30 seconds. What about Bitcoin? Yeah. Will Bitcoin benefit if uh, the equity market starts to topple? Well, our only concern about Bitcoin is, is that regulators will come in and, and do something to restrain yeah. it or control yeah. it or corral it push it into a yeah, corner because it's competitive with uh, federal government control over interest rates, uh, money supply. If you have a competing private currency that doesn't expand exponentially, mm-hmm. uh, then it's a potential threat to their control over money. Absolutely. And therefore, Absolutely. Uh, already Yellen and uh, ECB both yeah. Yeah. Use, yeah, have used terms that like criminal as regards yeah, right. Bitcoin. Right. So it's right. obviously an intent to regulate or control. So beware of that potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, you have to hobble, leave it go with that. the Bitcoin bubble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for being with us again. And uh, we always, always grateful to have you. And we'll look forward to it. seeing you again in a couple of weeks from now. Thanks, Jay. All, all right. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Dr. My, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with us uh, to talk about Lion One Metals. 
We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Fury Gold Mines is a Canadian exploration and development company committed to aggressively growing its scalable, high-grade gold assets across its 3.5 million-ounce portfolio. Led by a management team of proven explorers and developers, Fury aims to generate major catalysts and performance per share by advancing exploration campaigns across Canada. Fury is well positioned to create value for investors with low risk development growth and the potential for a new major discovery. Fury Gold Mines trades on the TSX and NYSC American under Fury. To learn more, go to FuryGoldMines.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am uh, Jay Taylor, your host, and I'm really happy to have Dr. Quentin Hanning with me once again. This time to give us an update on Lion One Metals, a company that he is an advisor to, uh, as he is with many companies, many very exciting companies, many of which are, some of which at least are our our sponsors of this show, and Lion One Metals uh, is one of those companies, has 150, about 156 million shares, $1.26 in Canadian money today. Uh, about 196 million Canadian market cap. Now this stock is down about half of where it was in August of last year. I think uh, even though everything is going, as far as I know, everything is going really well. Uh, it is an exciting story, as Quentin has talked about it before on this show. So we're really glad to have him back to give us an update. Thanks for joining us again, Quentin. Absolutely, Jay. Anytime. Yes, and um, so I understand there's six drills turning there now. Uh, and this two-of-a-two project uh, in Fiji, uh, and a couple of them are going very deep in the system, and some of them are from underground, I believe. They're doing some a lot of underground drilling. Fill us in on what the company has achieved since we last spoke, and also maybe give us an idea of what their, uh, what their drill program is going to look like, what they're, well, what they're up to this year, because they're, I think they're also advancing towards some production, perhaps. Yeah, look, uh, this is a very important time for the company because – that production side is becoming uh, more, it's coming more and more to the forefront. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, we have six drills on site. I'll, I'll kind of break this down. We'll talk about expiration for a bit, and then I'll explain why from this point forward, expiration now has to work very closely with the, the development side of this story because really what we're doing is is going to go ahead and, and start moving the, the whole project towards uh, production. Right, so this is, a, again, a very important step for the company. Now, first of all, a little background about the deposit. 
uh, Tuvatu, which is uh, what we call an alkaline gold deposit, it is associated with an extinct volcano. It's about four and a half million years old. This volcano, the magma, had a lot of alkali metal dissolved in it, uh, in particular potassium. That's why we call these alkaline gold systems. And these magmas uh, carry a lot of gold with them. So when they, they come up and then they start to cl- uh, crystallize in the crust, that gold has to come off. And it, it tries to find a home. And it, what it does is it gets flushed out into the little fractures and cracks uh, in the area above the magma chamber at depth. So you end up creating some very high-grade gold deposits out of this. So, so it's a high-grade vein system. It's a, a narrow veins. Mm-hmm. right? And this is typical of these deposits. Now... There's another deposit nearby called Vaticola. It was also called the Emperor Mine way back in the day. It's a very famous mine. It's produced over 7 million ounces. It started mining a little over 85 years ago. Remarkable deposit, one of the longest live mines on planet Earth. Uh, it actually helped found the com- uh, helped build the company Western Mining, which is a famous Australian company back mm-hmm. then. Um, anyway, Vaticola, look, this is the perspective people need to take with this story. When they started operating Vaticola, they did not drill the thing ad nauseum to 7 million ounces and then go, mm, let's see, should we capitalize it? Should we, you know, they didn't scratch their head for, for years and years uh, and drill, drill, drill. They, they basically said, okay, we have a deposit. You know, they had enough information in hand to go mine and the rest of the 7 million ounces basically unfolded as they, they mined. You know, they, as they mined, they, they opened up new areas, which allowed them to drill new areas, uh, advance the, the resource definition, yada, yada. Basically, you know, mm-hmm. repeat, repeat, repeats, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the approach we're going to take at Tuvatu. Uh, exploration is progressing. It's been a wet, wet year. This has been the wettest year in anybody's memory. Uh, we've had three typhoons uh, just absolutely soaked on site, but it is drying out now. The dry season starts approximately this time of year. And the guys on site told us that they saw dust coming up from the tracks of wheels on cars <laughs> recently. Yeah, that's, good. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah. Right? So, so exploration going forward looks like this. We're going to have three prongs now to the exploration. We have six rigs on site, two are deep capacity surface rigs. So these drill from surface down to deep levels. Two are shallow capacity surface rigs. They basically can drill shallow holes uh, from surface. And then two are the underground rigs that we just bought. These will be uh, drilling from underground inside the existing decline. Okay, so what are we doing? So the three things. Firstly, we're going to drill with with one of the deep capacity rigs. We're going to continue drilling the high grade that we hit late last year uh, underneath Tuvatu. Okay, so that's going to be followed up on a routine basis with one of the deep rigs. The second deep rig is going to start testing new areas around the caldera. All right, so as things dry out, we can get up and start drilling uh, underneath Banana Creek and other targets that we've generated recently. The third uh, set of rigs, which are the two shallow surface rigs as well as the underground rigs, guess what they're going to be? They're going to be drilling what we call uh, infill drilling and, mm-hmm. and basically resource, you know, mine planning drilling, we'll call it. Okay. Yeah. These rigs are going to be focused like a laser on drilling holes in and around the existing resource to define as, as sharply and precisely as possible uh, where we should go mining. All right? So this is important. So we have three prongs, uh, deep underneath Tuvatu, deep or new targets elsewhere in the caldera. That's second. And then the third is the infill or mine development uh, style of drilling that we need. Now, uh, with the exploration side, it kind of – 
that story told. Now I can talk a little bit about the development side. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make a mine, you need a team. Uh, Lion One has uh, some members of the team already in place, but I have worked very closely with Wally and his team to build that. We're actually going to introduce more people into the picture over the next couple of months. It's it'll probably be uh, you know that story will be told uh, over the next two or three months. These are people that I know quite well, and I know are committed to staying in Fiji long term and will be able to help the, the company advance the asset uh, on both the exploration and development side, by the way. Okay, so so mm-hmm. development side, look, what does the picture look like? Right now, the, the company's deciding at what kind of a production rate it would like to, to uh, you know, target. Uh, that's one aspect. Uh, second aspect is putting the team together. That's where I've been helping with them some. Uh, third aspect is uh, timing around this. And how do we make this go? Because really, this development is going to be what dovetails with exploration from here mm-hmm. on out. It's kind of going back to that Vaticola scenario. That mm-hmm. Okay, and I would say over the next two or three months, you're going to see the company start to talk more and more about its uh, focus on advancing development. You know, they're going to put a decline down. Uh, this decline is separate. It's not the same decline that we have in place right now. This is a new decline that's going to be put in a, a strategic place uh, to allow uh, development of the, the resources. It's also going to allow us to have further surface, or sorry, underground access to mm-hmm. drill different areas. Okay, so that's kind of the first off the dock. The second part is the processing, the mill. Uh, the company's looking at different scenarios around the mill. Again, the size hasn't been set yet, but they're getting close. Uh, and as, as far as the metallurgy goes, uh, they're looking at different uh, scenarios, like w- different flow sheets for this mill. I would say by May, maybe June, early June, they will have a lot of this in hand and present to the market a very clear story on how to advance it. So we're in a transitional phase. You know, we're going from, say, pure exploration towards the uh, development stage at this point. Uh, but it's going to get more and more exciting. Mm-hmm. And I guess, uh, so in terms of the CapEx and all that, is uh, that's really uncertain at this point in time, depending on the flow sheets and how they decide to mine and how much they're going to mine and all of that. Sure, these, right. are, these are metrics that we'll have to wait for over the it, next few months. It is, it is true. This is going to take a little time to put together, but here's the great news, okay? Uh, Lion One has, uh, last I heard, a little over $61 million in the bank. That comes from the financing they did as well as the one exercise last year. That puts them in a very, very uh, special, good position, we'll call it, to, to advance both the exploration and the development. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, we'll look forward to it, and, and hopefully uh, some of those deep holes come in nice and juicy, uh, and people start getting really excited about this story before they have to raise money to uh, put the mine. Well, maybe they don't have to raise that much, but I'm sure they're going to have to raise some. And one way or another, uh, $61 million won't get you into production. I'm pretty sure of that. So yeah, in any event, it uh, should be a lot of excitement. Uh, so we expect a pretty regular news flow then, I suppose. Uh, from here on out with the dry season, yeah, things should uh, improve in terms of news flow. Correct. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you, Quentin. Thank you so much for giving us that, that update and uh, really helps us focus again on this story. Thank you for being with us and, uh, and helping us understand it. Anytime, Jay. All righty. Well, folks, that is uh, all for this segment. We're going to talk to David McElvenny right after the uh, commercial break, so don't go away. I'll be right back with you then, and David will join me.
Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSXV and GTBAF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their district-scale Dixie project in the renowned Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having made multiple high-grade near-surface gold discoveries, GBR's capital efficiency has allowed them to be fully funded to complete a very active 300,000-meter drill program through 2021. Stay up to date on what's been considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last three years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have David McElvaney with me once again. David is the president of the McElvaney Financial Companies, McElvaney Wealth Management, and ICA, a precious metals brokerage firm. And, uh, well, he has a, he's been on us, with us a number of times in the past, so I'm not going to read his whole bio, but you can catch that on our website or better yet uh, to learn more about David and all the things that take place under the McElvaney umbrella uh, go to McElvaneyICA.com. I think that's a good place to start anyway. Thanks for joining me again, David. As always, great to be with you again. It's always good to have you with me. Uh, we've titled our show today, Living and Investing in a Dystopian Digital Currency World. Um, and I sort of picked up on that topic in part from your weekly podcast, which I listened to last week. Um, digital currency, how close do you think we are uh, to... Well, we have digital currency now for sure, but how close do you think we are to seeing regular currency, uh, paper money outlawed? Yeah, I think one of the great ironies is going to be this notion of a utopian um, digital currency world turning dystopian, where everything that was promised in terms of freedoms, flexibility, and frankly, privacy and opacity all of a sudden gets turned into a bit of a control freak's nightmare. And and I, I'm, I'm the dystopian aspect, I think, is where we're going. It's not where we're at today. And one of the things I mentioned in last week's uh, McElvaney Weekly Commentary was that the central bank digital currency launched by the Chinese here in, in the last several weeks um, is is really the template for other central banks to follow. And, you know, they want the ability to effectively implement monetary policy and digital currency gives them a few tools they've never had before, um, or actually it takes the old tools and just sharpens them. So um, a, lot, a lot there. Uh, but yeah, I think dystopians is, is an accurate description. Hmm. To what extent do you think um, this pandemic has sort of accelerated this process? Well, as someone once said, crisis compresses time, and perhaps we would have gotten here 
uh, but on a longer time frame. And what we have now is an openness, not only because of the development of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and Ripple and others, um, but also just seeing that the digital universe is a universe that we're comfortably existing in. What are we recording on uh, today for this well, show? How do we do our Zoom calls if not in the office space? So mm-hmm. this notion that whether it's digital commerce, digital communications, there's just a greater ease with the whole ecosystem. And um, the idea that cash being a burden to your first point and your first question um, physical cash is is going the way of the dodo bird, and it's something that I think central banks would like to get rid of. They've wanted to for some time, and just haven't been able to. Now you look at what was experimented with um, in India uh, a year or so ago, uh, removal of of their currency and a move towards the digital uh, under the guise of financial inclusion. That's that's a fancy. Uh-huh euphemism for let's take care of the little people. Of course, we should all understand at this point that when the government says, I'm here to help, you should run uh, from the room with your hair on fire. Um, But nevertheless, that's what happened in India. That's what is happening in China today with their digital currency. And Jerome Powell has said, we don't need to be the first. We just need to make sure we get it right. And so, yes, we'll have our own version of a digital currency. And bad news there is is that, I mean, for all the good news of convenience and things like that, the bad news is it does mean that we're moving towards a closed financial system with all that entails. And what might be some of the things that it entails? Give us an idea what, of, of how that might be hurtful to our freedom and our liberties. I had a conversation with Carmen Reinhart, who um, at the time was um, professor at Harvard, and um, she described it as um, corralling investors. Um, and and once what you know, like so many cattle, once they're corralled, you can direct and control them. And so the closing of the financial system is really giving investors what in in philosophy might be called the fallacy of false alternative. You can choose a or you can choose B, but that is all you can choose from. And so you choose whatever you like, as long as it's A or B. And, mm-hmm. and so that idea of guiding or herding or corralling um, is really important for monetary policy implementation because let's say, for instance, people don't like the idea that their savings are being inflated away and they decide that they want to exit, quote unquote, exit the system. Mm, but that's not option A or option B, that's option C, D, E, or F, and those aren't open to you anymore. So the value for a central planner of closing the financial system is that you get to more effectively operate with a fallacy of false alternative and determine the course that you consider best for the economy. As a freedom-loving American, that kind of grates me the wrong way. Um, but it's very efficient. The Chinese have experimented with it. There's a little less freedom there than there is here. So perhaps there's a little less social push- pushback. I'm, I'm hoping that we aren't just interested in convenience here in the U.S., but notions of freedom and liberty still prevail. They do, and I happened to watch Kyle Bass uh, speak this morning on CNBC, and he was warning about uh, about what the Chinese are doing, and he's fearful that we may be lumped in or sucked into that system or something like that, and really is hoping that we will resist uh, but uh, it, it occurred to me as you were speaking that maybe this, uh, the government and the central banks have have just uh, solved the uh, their financing issues, their financing 
requirements for trillions upon trillions of dollars that are being uh, created out of thin air to the extent they need to, they can't continue to create endless amounts of money from nothing. Uh, they might just get us to help them pay for it. And we won't have, we'll have uh, that choice A or B, I guess, maybe be limited to that. Yeah, we're all familiar with inflation as a tool. And, you know, if you go back to John Maynard Keynes, one of the things that he was sort of set to accomplish was um, getting capital out of capitalism. He described it as destruction of the rentier class. And that mm -hmm. basically meant if you had extra savings, quote unquote, capital, and could put them uh, to work for your benefit, maybe it was a rental property or something like that, he would consider that idle capital and, and dead money. And he wanted every dollar circulating through the system. And so what we are moving towards in sort of a, a top-down managed financial system, and, and, and if Kyle Bass is concerned about that sort of the temptation to manage from the top down, uh, learning from the Chinese and applying it here in the United States, a um, friend of ours, Russell Napier, used to say, if you want to anticipate the future, you ought to study Eastern Europe. You'll learn a lot about what's coming our direction from a public policy standpoint. But this notion of closing the financial system, you've got inflation as, as sort of the right hook, and then the uppercut comes from financial repression, and financial repression is holding interest rates at a very low level mm -hmm. and basically extracting value from a savings base mm -hmm. uh, a different way. And, and this, is the, this is the beauty, I've put that in quotes, but the beauty <laughs> of the closed financial system and being digital is that you can attach a sell-by date to the digital currency, mm -hmm. and it forces the money that would have been, again, in Keynes's view, uh, dead capital um, or, or you know, the, the, the ridiculous capital of the rentier class. Um, it forces it into the system because here's the carrot and stick. You get to spend it today or it's worth less tomorrow. And how much less? Well, again, that's determined by the central planners. Maybe it's worth two cents less. Maybe it's worth 25 cents less. Maybe it's worth 50% less. But the motivation is to get that money into the financial system and, and, and see that there is an increase in velocity where that money's turning around. It bases a lot of, of, of effectiveness on an assumption that we know what's best for other people. Mm -hmm. and, and again, this is one of those things that's annoying to me, I think to you too. Oh, for sure. Um, the, nation, the notion of a top-down managed system takes individual rights and individual decision out of the picture and says, we can determine for you because we're smarter. We've got better education. We've got the experience. We're just that kind of group. It's like well, the pigs and animal farm. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. It is very concerning, uh, for sure. It is a, the, a, the antithesis of what our founding fathers had willed for us and fought for us uh, to to give us this idea of the individual being important and being sovereign, and the, and the government here to serve us rather than the other way around. But we are now being uh, vassals of the state. I guess we are being uh, asked to serve the elite more and more. It would seem that way. In any event. Um, and uh, so if you're only given a limited number of options, then what can you do, David? I mean, we still have some options now. Is there anything we can do now to try to prepare for this dystopian future? I think one of the things you have to do is reconsider the, the traditional mix of 60-40, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, or depending on your age and demography, maybe switch it the other way around. Um, bonds will become what they once were called certificates of confiscation and 
so that part of the portfolio is no longer a place to go for safety. I, I grant you, in a, in a, in a snap second, in, in a deflationary moment where a particular asset class is circling the drain, people may want to own bonds instead of mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about a long road here, not a, not, a, not a short-term event. A long road where you're talking about major capital destruction in the bond market. I think you want to own real things. The way we've positioned our asset management company is to own four categories of real things. Precious metals mining companies, global natural resource companies, uh, infrastructure where there's a hard asset with a cash flow attached to it, and specialty real estate is the fourth category that we're interested in. And again, it's a real thing with cash flow attached to it. Two of the four are cyclical, two of the four are non-cyclical. And then we manage the risk according to the cyclical nature of the commodities in question for talking global natural resources and precious metals, because there's times to own those things and there's times to not own them because of their, their very violent volatility. Um, but nevertheless, the four categories make up real assets, tangible, hard assets. And we think in a period of, of central bank experimentation, monetary largesse, um, this, is a, this is a better approach. It's a better approach to gaining income, which is absolutely necessary. Uh, and it's a better approach to preserving value and even, maybe even positioning yourself for growth. Mm-hmm. What was the second category, David? I didn't, I didn't catch it. We have uh, precious metals, stocks, uh-huh. global natural resources, okay, and then infrastructure and specialty real estate. And then looking for some of, the, I, I would imagine with the precious metals mining companies, you're probably producers and not so much exploration companies. Precisely. And the main reason for that is, again, with more of an income focus, uh, what we learned from the South African mining shares in the in the 1970s is that when they're making money as producers, uh, there's also generally healthy dividends to, to, to receive. And we're already seeing that with the majors. So um, given the fact that our investor expectation is both for conservative growth, um, appreciation and in income, the income component's more important. There's no doubt that there's opportunity with an exploration company. It just doesn't fit the profile that, that most of our investors are looking for. So we were right, positioned as we are with a decent cost basis and precious metals miners, the producers, um, there's some pretty attractive, pretty mm-hmm. attractive dividend yields. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly I'm focused on the little guys that are finding the deposits that those big producers are looking for. That's another exciting area, but certainly doesn't have the cash flow. That's for sure. Um, and and real estate, David, do you uh, are you looking at probably REITs or real estate investment companies that that produce cash flow and pay good dividends? Yeah, I mean we're definitely looking for anything publicly traded. So REITs mm-hmm. is is the space that uh, we frequent most, and especially real estate put us in good stead even this last year, where a lot of rents did not get paid if you mm-hmm. were in an apartment. Uh, or, or, or particular retail-type properties. Those are, of course, no interest to us. Um, but logistics, storage facilities, um, cold storage, there's a variety of ways to approach um, the real estate market, which are just different. And, um, you know, we've, we got to focus on very high-quality credit. And our worst-case scenario last year was uh, a REIT that uh, collected, I think its worst quarter was 98% of its rents. Oh, um, so 
Yeah, even in the midst of one of the worst crises in modern history, global pandemic, mm-hmm. um, we, 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 we had an accurate appraisal on both the credit risk and the portfolio quality that is necessary to kind of walk through a tough patch. Um, it, if I'm remembering, if I'm remembering correctly, the last time we spoke, you were not so in, so concerned about the demise of the dollar. Alistair McLeod, who we have on frequently, is that seems to be a major theme of his. Uh, I don't think you were that concerned about inflation. Are you more so now? Um, yeah, I think we're always concerned about inflation, mm-hmm. probably not hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. And we're definitely concerned about the demise of the dollar, just not as a cataclysmic one-off event. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, it's something that is happening in front of us. It's one of the reasons why I was very interested to see the development of the digital currency in China, because one of the things that we have lacked, and I, I would say from last conversation to this, perhaps one of the shifts, is 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 this very issue. Um, you go back to um, the structure of scientific revolutions, a, a book that was written in the 1960s, mm-hmm. and the thesis is basically that a paradigm does not change, a worldview does not change until the anomalies and the, and the problems of that worldview are better solved by a new paradigm. Uh-huh. And what, what we've had is problems with the dollar for a long time. The uh-huh. dollar paradigm, the monetary system based on the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency, is problematic, period, full stop. And you can say, okay, well, it, because of this, that, and the other, it's going to end. Yes, but what's the alternative? What's the replacement? Mm-hmm. And and for some time, it was thought the euro might be that. But you look at the dysfunction there, and a friend of ours used to call it the Frankenstein monster, as in the French Frank and the German Stein, kind of a, a play <laughs> on words. Uh-huh. Um, and it is. It's a currency Frankenstein. And it's, it's very dysfunctional. It's not going to replace the U.S. dollar. But it may be that the digital yuan uh, or RMB is a replacement. And, and so that's what I'm most interested. Yes, I am concerned about the devi- demise of the dollar, but only on a time frame where the problems which are apparent with our currency can be addressed by a new alternative. Mm-hmm. As long as that alternative doesn't completely put us, uh, lock us in our homes or in a jail cell forever, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> well, you need to look on the positive side, David, and you, and you certainly, um, I think, keep things in the proper perspective, and I'm, I'm grateful to you for that. But what about, uh, I think I heard you talking about cash. I didn't hear you mention. Do you keep some cash in your portfolio? What sort of cash reserves do you have for a rainy day? I mean, let's say, let's say that the interest rates get out of, let's say the Fed loses control of the rates and the dollar starts to lose its, you know, it's, it's um, that people just don't have confidence anymore and they, and they dump it. Or at some turning point when there is this new system that comes into play, into play interest rates start to spike and go through the roof. Um, is that a danger that you see? I mean, we're, we're seeing, uh, you know, higher rates. Recently, we've seen higher rates. Uh, Michael Oliver, who was with us a little while ago, thinks that that uh, the treasuries and, and gold will go in the same direction here for a while until it, until it breaks apart. But do you, do you see the need at, at this? I mean, my own sense of feeling is that I should have more cash than I have in my I just feel very uncomfortable about this stock market right now. And I know you do, too, because I heard some of your remarks last week. But um, what are your thoughts about how should you have some cash around right now? Yeah, I mean, I I think when you look at the bond market and you look at um, interest rates, 
there's there's a lot of risk that's underestimated there. And yes, I think rates can go considerably higher, um, driven by market forces and dynamics in, in contrast to what the Fed and other central banks would want in terms of a direction lower. Um, and, and, you know, there's this, this issue of um, being in cash and being concerned about devaluation. And yet, that is an issue which is a slow burn issue mm-hmm. versus what you addressed as as a real fast burn issue of mm-hmm. volatility in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Um, stock market can lose between 10 and 15% in three sessions. Mm-hmm. It might lose 50% over a six-week period of time. And our current inflation, um, you know, at, at even the worst case, 50% is going to take you uh, decades to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's, it's kind of, you know, which is better, which is worse. They're both less than ideal, but I'd rather be in cash than in equities today. Mm-hmm. And even with the positions that we have, we've moderated those and are not at full allocations. Um, we've, we've been as high as 50% cash. Uh, we're currently closer to 30%. Um, but we feel like we've got plenty of dry powder to add to existing positions, um, very strong businesses, strong assets uh, being developed and and very solid balance sheets. Uh, nevertheless, prices can suffer greatly. And so we have cash um, opportunistically and defensively. Um, and we, we just have to sit with the tension of um, not having every dollar invested. It comes at a cost. We know mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But we recognize the cost on on the fast burn issue, market volatility, as mm-hmm. being far greater. Yeah, maybe you could just uh, just share with our listeners some of the some of the signals that you talked about uh, of of a uh, of a bubble uh, nearing its end. You talked a little bit about about that on your last uh, on your last podcast. Gosh, there's there are so many different signals. I mean, if you wanted to look at things from the standpoint of how investors are in, in, in engaging in the market today, you know, everyone knows the term risk on versus risk off. Risk on is when you're pretty enthusiastic about prices going higher. And today we've got that measured by uh, margin debt. Not only are people willing to bet 100% of their money, but they're willing to borrow money from the house. Um, and bet even more. So, 814 billion was the last a number on margin debt, highest mm-hmm. we've ever seen. And um, you know, that comes from the the, the Q4 Z1 report. Uh, you can look at broker dealer loans as 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 another indication of incredible leverage in the marketplace. Um, look at what happened to Archegos, this family office. Yeah. You know, is is not leveraged with margin debt, but they've set up derivative contracts with a, a number of prime brokers, and you know, it's a guy who very effectively turned, very skillfully turned, two hundred million dollars into close to a twenty billion dollar personal fortune, and you know, took his winnings as a hedge fund manager, the original two hundred million stake, turns it into twenty billion. But guess what happens when leveraged positions move against you? <laughs> he's, he's done and closes up shop in a week. It's all gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, how do you lose $20 billion in a week? Um, <laughs> well, we just got to see it. And so, again, what does that suggest? It suggests that there is a tremendous amount of leverage in in the system. 
um, we could look at we could look at the SPACs, that phenomenon yeah. of special purpose acquisition vehicles. Mm-hmm. That would be another example where you know there's been 288 SPACs that have gone public um, just this year, raising 94 billion dollars. Um, that's up from, and that's just in a quarter. Yeah. That's up from last year's total take in terms of the IPOs related to special purpose acquisition companies, 83 billion. So from 83 last year, 94 in the first quarter of this year, and last year's number was six times what it was in 2019. Um, I mean, this is is remarkable. It's really remarkable. Uh, David, we just have a couple of minutes left. I'd like you just to, to tell our listeners again about some of the services that you provide under the McIlvaney umbrella. Uh, you uh, you you have ICA, which is I think of as a as a uh, as a coin company, as a company that sells precious metals. But you're more than that, and I think you even provide um, an opportunity for people to have their portfolios uh, assessed or looked at. Am I right about that? That's right. I mean, from beginning to end, whether it's a precious metals portfolio or an equity portfolio, bond portfolio, um, my my specialty when I worked with Morgan Stanley years ago was with municipal bonds. So we're happy to look at it and, and give you a second opinion on just about everything. Mm-hmm. Precious metals business, my parents started in 1972. It's expanded to be a full-fledged brokerage company relating to um, uh, you know, goal ownership in every form. One of the most unique tools that we offer for investors, and I would encourage your listeners to look at vaulted.com, mm-hmm. V-A-U-L-T-E-D, vaulted.com. Um, it's a great way to save and have an alternative banking system, a banking program or savings program mm-hmm. uh, denominated in gold. Mm-hmm. And um, I, that I think is 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 very innovative and helpful. Um, we have a unique tax structure as it relates to uh, the, that particular product. So something that, frankly, nobody else in the world offers. Mm-hmm. Um, the asset management company we mentioned earlier is kind of a complementary thing. Think of us as kind of the ideal football team. You've got the offensive coordinator looking at the hard asset strategies. Um, in the four categories we talked about earlier, where growth and income are the priority, and the, the defensive coordinators, where we're putting together an insurance-type portfolio invested in uh, gold, silver, and the platinum group metals. And we look at those very opportunistically to be able to trade the ratios between the metals and and gain in ounces, mm-hmm. even uh, when the prices aren't necessarily moving to your favor. So a very productive way to approach the metals. We've got five decades experience doing that. All right, and I think it's possible also to um, to put some gold in your IRA through your services as well, right? Yeah, and in fact, in the, going back to the 80s when they allowed that, we were the first company to do so. So All right. yeah, kind of groundbreaking in that regard. Yep, Michaelvee.com right. is a great way to follow us, um, okay. or weeklycommentary.com if you want to listen into our Excellent. thoughts each week. Excellent. Thank you very much, David. We're That is it. That's all the time we have, unfortunately. But thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, greatly appreciate it. And we'll look to do it again sometime, hopefully, uh, in the near future. All right. Thank you so much. Well, that is it for this week, folks. Next week, I'm going to talk to John Rubino. Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me again to talk about SK Mining. Really some exciting things taking place there. Um, and um, maybe a surprise guest or two. Well, until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates.